is brought to you by Penguin Random House Audio, purveyors of fine sci-fi and fantasy audiobooks. Re-experience your favorites like Harry Potter or Game of Thrones, or listen to new titles like Dracul by Dacre Stoker, An Absolutely Remarkable Thing by Hank Green, or Times Convert by Deborah Harkness. It's like reading an entire book while you drive to work without duct taping a paperback to your steering wheel. What a time to be alive! The best part is you can listen to Penguin Random House audiobooks on any platform you already use. Amazon, Audible, Barnes & Noble, or Penguin.com. Visit PenguinRandomHouseAudio.com slash TwoGirlsOnePodcast to browse their selection. And now here are your favorite sci-fi authors. And by sci-fi authors, I mean one time they told a story about aliens. Alison Goldberg and Jennifer Jamula. Hey guys, I'm Jen. I'm Allie. Welcome to Two Girls, One Podcast. Allie and I are here to give you interviews with people behind the internet posts, because for a lot of years, we performed the internet live on stage as if it were our script um, in a comedy show, another show, not this show, and it was called Blogologues. It is called Blogologues. Um, and then from there, we created a web series called Two Girls, One Show, where we just started to look into the people behind these internet posts we'd been performing all of these years. And from there, we've decided to make this podcast and just focus on the interviews. So welcome. We're happy to have you here. Ali, how are you? I'm great. I'm very excited about today's interview. I have been obsessed with them for a while and it's kind of blogologue almost, you know, because basically they like create weird internet text and then they have live shows. I hate them. I know. Um, <laughs> so this, I'm going to dive right in. This is Please. called uh, Botnik, B-O-T-N-I-K, if you guys have heard of them. Um, so basically they use predictive text keyboards kind of like the iPhone and so basically you can you can give I mean nowadays a lot of com- a lot of different companies are doing it not too many but you can give basically a <laughs> bot you can feed a bot all the text feed that you the, want don't don't feed the bots guys don't it's don't like a sign the at the zoo yeah, <laughs> yeah don't feed the bots so for instance you can feed a bot all the books of Harry Potter and then ask the bot to write its own chapter and that is exactly what these guys did which is the project's that first uh, alerted me to their existence. So they gave a bot all the books of Harry Potter, wrote a Harry Potter chapter called uh, Harry Potter and the Portrait of What Looked Like a Large Pile of Ash. It is hilarious. Uh-huh. Another project they did that I love is they gave a bot all of uh, a bunch of TV guides from some, you know, like, like all the TV guides from like 1985 or whatever. And then they wrote its own TV guide and synopses. So we're going to talk to... Um, one of the founders of Botnik and hear more about these projects. And I'm pretty excited about it. And I think, Jen, that we should, this for this episode, fuck your personal life. I think we should dive into some dramatic reads. Oh, man. Wait, I, I actually really want to hear about all the boys you're dating, though. <laughs> Stop. Um, I do want to say, in, in regards to my personal life, that I have, well, question, but also I've done this. Um, have yeah. you seen these predictive text things on Twitter where they'll give you the first, like, two or three words and then you should tweet what? the predictive text says no on okay. twitter that's a new though that's new uh, oh is it i'm ahead that. of the curve you might be ahead of the curve <laughs> guys that literally never happens um this wait, is this wait, is what? common on gmail this is common on gmail and text messaging which i'm also fascinated by i i, I want to go a week only responding to email with the prompts only yes. and see yes. if like i lose my job and and uh you know, it, get it'll divorced. be fun. Fun times for, <laughs> fun times for yeah. everyone. <laughs> well, that's just like, but that always just tells you like, sounds good. I want to make <laughs> the <laughs> Gmail predictive text sassy. You know what I mean? Like, yes. I want to make oh, it plug-in. mine. I want it to yeah. be like, fuck you. You know what I mean? Or like, yeah. Well, the, no, the, the, I'm masturbating. The way this worked on Twitter, it was really simple. Is that um, somebody was prompting everyone who saw this tweet to respond in a tweet and write the words "hear me out." and then see what it would predict for the next 10 to 12 words to make a sentence. So what it was predicting was totally different for everybody, but mine said, hear me out here, and I'll come visit soon, and I'll come see your peacock. 
<laughs> I don't know why. Wow. Oh, yeah. wait. So it reads your tweets and generates an answer for you based on your tweets. Is that right? It must be. It must Whoa. be. Yes. Yeah. So um, I like it. You know what I mean? Because you peacock, yeah. like you got a little bit of the farm, but it's also a little sexual. It's I'm all into it. I'm into it. <laughs> Makes a lot of sense. What um, was it? Can you say it one more time? One more time. Oh God, I just closed it, y'all. But I think it was hear me out here and I'll come to visit soon and come to see your peacock. <laughs> All right, I'll come to see your peacock. But like honest question, like, like does that. the does the peacock reference does that actually make sense based on what you were tweeting previously? No. No, it doesn't. But have no. you ever tweeted anything past, present, or future about peacocks? <laughs> I I might have fut- futurely tweeted about a peacock. I think I <laughs> think peacock makes sense for you. You but you know what you might have tweeted about peas and cocks. <laughs> yeah. Well that would make yeah. sense for the line of work that we're in. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, I think we should read some of these botnik things because they are freaking hilarious. I have a TV guide I really want to read. Okay, let's hear it. All right. So just to be clear, uh, botnik gave a bot TV guides and then it wrote its own. We're going to find show, out exactly show, how it writes its own. What? Show synopses, meaning they, they fed a lot of show yes. synopses from the 80s, mm-hmm. like Cheers and Golden Girls into the into the bot, and then it spit out a new something, sitcom show description. Is that what you're yep. about to read? Yep, 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 yep. Show description. Cool. Cool, this cool. show is called I'm Sorry, Scum. <laughs> MASH was okay, but what about getting a new housekeeper? No problem. Michael Douglas literally has to work for you in the stomach-cleaning comedy of errors. I'm sorry, scrum. In the magic city of Gumption, Ohio, the young Frankenstein is about to force Michael Douglas to be a household assistant by lying about everything, except how to get off. Sometimes the boss can be a real punk, and Michael Douglas Douglas wishes to use his deadly kung fu to take charge, but Frankenstein always manages to work things out. Cooper Bill and Michael Douglas star in the season's hottest saga, and the only series that a fireman wrote on duty. <laughs> I I love how the form of these descriptions, the format is so recognizable that it honestly doesn't matter what you're saying. You're like, "Oh yeah, I would watch that." It's so funny. Michael <laughs> Douglas and Frankenstein? Yeah. Did you say something about stomach cleaning? What? I know, actually, I'm so my microphone's one place, my computer's another, and I'm like, "Did I read that correctly?" Yeah, it says in the stomach cleaning comedy of errors. <laughs> What's you know, the when photo? you laugh so is hard that you vomit and then your stomach is clean. There is a so- photo and it's Michael Douglas and like some like suave 80s looking Frankenstein. <laughs> but my favorite line might be the last. Yes. The only series that a fireman wrote on duty. <laughs> <laughs> How does he have the time? Yeah. Oh, well, they're so Matt, good. There's a bunch I, of them. I have one that I think Matt's going to like. It's called okay, okay. It's called Dad Detective Goes to Prison. Oh, I read this one and it's so good. <laughs> so it's a family behind bars and it's like a happy dad with two kids and a wife. Okay, <laughs> so, hold on. Okay. Let me get some let me let me get some music queued up. Okay. All right, and go. When Detective Dad Martin goes to court to testify against Freddie Lowndes, he ends up in jail forever for his sins. But when his wife and kids move into jail with him, he ends up enjoying prison. And of course, a lot of new inmates just join the family too, and these terrifying uncles are moving into an apartment that is really the police academy. Plus, the warden is in a gang for survivors of lunch surgery. It's Dad Detective Goes to Prison. Pictured left to right, Tom Samples, Alan S. Emmy, Goldie Goldblum, and Val Vargel. <laughs> it's so good. Goldie Goldblum. Goldie Goldblum. She's the best. <laughs> oh, I love her. <laughs> <sighs> All right, I want to read more TV guides, but should we dive in and read the be-all end-all, the Botnik-generated chapter of Harry Potter? Yes, Give me please. one more TV guide. Okay, Give one, me more one more TV guide. guide. One more come TV on, guide. Come on, right. Help me out. All right, all right. Uh, okay. Um, I'm just choosing one at random. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is called Grease and Dogs, American Forever. <laughs> okay, so this is like, all right. Was this like a drama? Is this uh, uh, a feel-good TV movie? I need. I need, I got to pick my music. I have no idea. I haven't even read it yet. All right, all right. <laughs> but there I'm is just... an astronaut covering his eyes as the photo. So just go for it. Whatever right. you want. Got Whatever it. you want. You got it. Got it. Oh God, I found one I really like too. Matt, can we do two more? <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> okay. All right. 
An astronaut is committed to fighting crime, but an unexpected detour through a coma of fortune focuses this science cop to experience a typical winter in the me- <laughs> in the medium town of Walnut Bang. A rival Denny's <laughs> opens across the street from the original Denny's. <laughs> <laughs> and the town gets even more wealthy and successful in this powerful new drama brought to you by Denny's. <laughs> brought to you by Denny's. Oh no! Really? <laughs> There's more fuck. Hamburger Glass is in for spaceship investigator JC Langley as he tries to make his way up to manage <laughs> of one of those Denny's. <laughs> So much it's sense. all about Denny's. I also love the medium town of Walnut medium Bang. Town. Like a medium, <laughs> it's not a small town. It's not a big town. It's a medium, medium town. <laughs> Wait, I'm sorry. I have to just one more time because I laughed through it. I want everyone to know it was a rival Denny's opens across the street from the original Denny's and the town gets even more wealthy and successful in this power and full new drama brought to you by Denny's. <laughs> I'm, sorry, I'm saying the robots figured out native product placement. It's a show sponsored by Denny's with Denny's as a central plot point. It's yes. fucking genius, fucking guys. Fucking genius. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about like not even trying to hide your sponsorship. I know. <laughs> Here's a show about a medium town where there's a Denny's and a rival Denny's across the street brought to you by to Denny's. You by Denny's. <laughs> I'm a cop, a space cop. Meet you at Denny's. <laughs> All right, Jen, which one? Which one are you going to read? Okay, finally, this is like a, this is a CW show for sure. It's called Egg, <laughs> Egg Residence, colon, the story of Jason. Okay. <laughs> okay, great. Life is a drag for Veronica Rogers. Her high school newspaper thinks she is a secret lawyer. And now her crush, Jason Egg, has been abducted by two divorced men. If she discovers $3 million in a limo, you just have to see whatever she discovers in between the vegetables. No lessons about grief or human connection are learned at all on the all-new Egg Residence, the story of Jason, pictured Lindy Kutrin. I love it so much. But she's a secret lawyer. A she's secret lawyer. Her, her school newspaper found a out. secret lawyer. <laughs> oh, guys. Sitcom. So good. Oh, it's good. So good. You ready? I'm Let's ready for it. story time. Let's do it. They really. We should probably do. Uh, oh right, I have to work on British because they're all they're all British, you know, uh-huh. all of them. Okay. All okay. right. If, all right. Mm-hmm, yes. I've got. I've if got you, it. Okay. Do you want to narrate or do you want to be one of the characters? I think I'll be the characters. Or all of them. Okay. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. Harry Potter. And the portrait of what looked like a large pile of ash. I'm not sure what accent this is, but we'll go with it. I don't know what that is. Okay. The castle grounds snarled with a wave of magically magnified wind. The sky outside was a great... Let's go back because that's like partially Irish. I'm not sure. Really, I really forget how to do a British accent. They used to be much better. Okay, the the castle ground snarled with a wave of magically magnified wind. The sky outside was a great black ceiling, which was full of blood. The only sounds drifting from Hagrid's hut were the disdainful shrieks of his own furniture. Magic, it was something that Harry Potter thought was very good. Leathery sheets of rain lashed at Harry's ghost as he walked across the grounds towards the castle. Ron was standing there and doing a kind of frenzied tap dance. He saw Harry and immediately began to eat Hermione's family. Ron's Ron shirt was just as bad as Ron himself. If you two can't clump happily, I'm going to get aggressive, confessed the reasonable Hermione. What about Ron magic? Offered Ron to Harry. Ron was a loud, slow, and soft bird. Harry did not like to think about birds. Death Eaters are on top of the castle. Ron bleated, quivering. Ron was going to be spiders. He just was. He wasn't proud of that, but it was going to be hard to not have spiders all over his body after all is said and done. Look! Said Hermione. (laughs) Obviously, there are loads of Death Eaters in the castle. Let's listen in on their meetings. The three complete friends zapped onto the landing outside the door to the castle roof. They almost legged it, but witches are not climbing. Ron looked at the doorknob and then looked at Hermione with searing pain. I think it's closed. He noticed. Locked. 
said Mr. Staircase, the shabby-robed ghost. They looked at the door, screaming about how closed it was and asking it to be replaced with a small orb. The password was... Beef women! (laughs) Hermione cried. (laughs) Harry, Ron, and Hermione quietly stood behind a circle of Death Eaters who looked bad. I think it's okay if you like me, (laughs) said one Death Eater. Thank you very much, (laughs) replied the other. The first Death Eater confidently leaned forward to plant a kiss on his cheek. Oh, well done. Oh, oh, well done. (laughs) Said the second as his friend stepped back again. All the other Death Eaters clapped politely. Then they all took a few minutes to go over the plan to get rid of Harry's magic. Harry could tell that Voldemort was standing right behind him. He felt a great overreaction. Harry tore his eyes from his head and threw them into the forest. Voldemort raised his eyebrows at Harry, who could not see anything at the moment. Voldemort, you're a very bad and mean wizard. Harry savagely said. Hermione (laughs) nodded encouragingly. The tall Death Eater was wearing a shirt that said, Hermione Hermione has forgotten how to dance. dance. (laughs) So Hermione dipped his face in mud. Ron threw a wand at Voldemort and everyone applauded. Ron smiled. Ron reached for his wand slowly. Ron's the handsome one, muttered Harry as he reluctantly reached for his. They cast a spell or two and jets of green light shot out of the Death Eaters' heads. Ron flinched. Not so handsome now, thought Harry as he dipped Hermione in hot sauce. (laughs) The Death Eaters were dead now and Harry was hungrier than he had ever been. (laughs) <laughs> okay. We can stop there. It goes on. I, I think this it. would get uh, me to read I Harry like Potter. It's so Thanks, good. Matt. I feel like my voice got turned a little bit into Stewie in the Family Guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like really <laughs> 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 mm, blotting, blotting. I don't know. Um, I pulled out my Muppet for the Death cold Eater. read. Yeah. Cold read. Uh, I never read Harry Potter, so that's that's from the real books or or no? <laughs> what? All right, Matthew. You know what, Matthew? Just you just go back to your I, corner. I just honestly, okay, just, it, it was very go in your corner. Are there Death Eaters in Harry Potter? Oh my god, I hate you both. I hate you okay. both so okay. much. Right right, now. Right, I can't right. even handle it. Oh my Guys, god, I'm sorry. I apologize. I feel sorry for you both. You have so you have so much joy ahead of you to read Harry Potter for the first time. Are yeah. you excited for us? I'm yeah. excited for you. Okay, don't be sorry. <laughs> I mean, you're only hurting yourselves. I know, I know. So we're going to talk to the people behind Botnik. Yeah. We're going to talk to the people behind Botnik. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to find out about the madness, the method behind the madness that created this this nonsense. But first, we got to take a break. Oh, All right. God. But before we take a break, we got to do trivia. Oh, my God. How many things need to happen in order for us to get to things. the break? Trivia, okay. trivia, <laughs> trivia. <laughs> Today's episode is about machine learning uh, that can be making things more efficient through algorithms or it could just be about having weird, wild fun with art like Wacky Harry Potter and TV Guide mashups. Uh, I'm going to give you three things that machine learning is being tasked with today. So, So technologies that are employed right now. Two of them are real projects that are uh, by companies or organizations the, that are actually happening. One of them, fake, fake news that I made up. <laughs> you got to spot fake. the fake. Are you ready? Yeah, we're ready. A, machine learning is translating Egyptian hieroglyphics way faster than humans ever could. True. B, machine learning is able to spot fake reviews on TripAdvisor. Or C, Machine learning algorithms are punching up Hollywood movie scripts before they even start filming to make sure that they're more marketable. Whoa! I know which one, I think. So you're looking for the fake. Two of those are real, one of them I made up. Yep. Which one's fake? I think C is fake. Or three, or however we order these. <laughs> the C. third one. Jen goes with yeah. C. The, the Hollywood movies. movie scripts uh, that, that machines are punching them up, making improvements as writers typically do punch-ups, but you're saying machines are doing them. That's not real. That's I not think this thing. is where the human I'm touch if you're, is important. Yeah, I, 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 yeah. Matt, are you being deceptive? Because here's the thing. I, I do think that they are using algorithms and whatever to kind of figure out things that might sell... So I think there's some machine learning going on in Hollywood rooms. I think I heard something about this recently, but I don't think they're like using 
machine learning to punch up scripts. So can you clarify? I'm going to say I'm going to clarify by saying specifically that machines are taking existing scripts and making them better. Oh no, C's fake. Humans. Fuck that. C's fake. C's fake. You're both going with C. Both. I'm going with C. They're not yep. punching up the scripts. United Did you hear what we just read? Did you hear what we just read? <laughs> yeah, that, that, that would be terrible. Yeah. That's not marketable. Right. Yeah. Everyone's going with C. We will find out the correct fake answer after the break. This episode is supported by Penguin Random House Audio. We all have to do things every day that are sort of tedious, but just need to get done. So you're driving to work, maybe you have a long walk commute if you live in a city, uh, you need to cook dinner for yourself. But those things can be made infinitely better, I think, by listening to an audiobook at the same time. Ellie, what do you think about Entertainment audiobooks? in your ears. That's what she thinks. <laughs> That's I right. also have a confession for you. Do tell. I cheated on my great love, Harry Potter, and I actually have read all of the Game of Thrones books. Have you told Harry? No, don't tell him. Don't tell him. <laughs> but I actually, um, I think that the, when, the, uh, when the next one finally comes out, if it's ever going to come out, I'm going to try it on audiobook. That way I can use my hands while I learn the story. So what are you going to do with those hands? I can't tell you that. <laughs> so, so you've read all of the Game of Thrones, actually, yes? I did. <laughs> they were a pale comparison. A pale Ellie, you shadow? Wait, you, you read? To Harry Potter? I'm just kidding. I You're do, actually I, the most uh, literate person. <laughs> no, as we, we talked about it, Matt can't read. Uh, no, that is true. Sorry yeah. to bring up a sore subject, Matt. That's yeah. why I make videos and podcasts. And that's why <laughs> audiobooks are so fantastic for our producer, Matthew, because he can't read. That's right. So Penguin Random House Audio actually puts out a thousand titles every single year. In particular, I think this month, a cool focus could be maybe some sci-fi fantasy stuff. It's the month of Halloween. So there's some great titles on there. There's Dracul by Dacre Stoker and J.D. Barker. Um, We have some Hank Green books. There's an absolutely remarkable thing by Hank Green. Time's Convert by Deborah Harkness. And as we said, Game of Thrones, Harry Potter, um, but many, many more. And you can get them anywhere you get your favorite audiobooks. So check them out on Audible, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Penguin.com. If you go, they're going to be there waiting for you. Hey, Melissa Elliott, we are the absolute worst because we didn't thank you in the month of September. Here we are in October, and we are so happy for your contribution to our Patreon, and other people can be just as cool as you are if they contribute to our Patreon. The other thing about it, Melissa, is that you're going to get two thanks this month because we fucked up. Listeners, you can go to patreon.com slash 2G1P to get thanked on air. Thanks so much. And now a definitely real advertisement for the new hit NBC drama, Vienna Reptile, a television program written entirely by humans and consumed by a human audience. Yep, just humans all the way down. The power of military radiation alters one man's life in a very special way. He is cool now. Brandon Maggart plays Walter Hibiscus, the startling star of NBC's Vienna Reptile. He's not from Tokyo and he hates information, but Walter is one of those amazing people who just can't be counterfeit. He's charming, suave, and so straight he can't even look at all the other guys in his car. But when the god of rejection has plans for his parents, will he get a real job and stop enjoying American gladiators? That sounds so good. I can't wait to watch that. I know. He's cool now. And he's so straight. He, it's like there's a sexual drama to it. Like can't even look at the other guys in the car. I would watch it for that. That's, Do you that's think good. I need to find some powerful military radiation so that I can become cool? And like people just, I'm so straight. People can't even, I can't look at people. It is the only way to become cool. God yeah. Damn it, I could have used some powerful radiation in middle school. Can you guys imagine what my hair was like? It was not good. It was not good at all. Yeah. My favorite part of that show, he hates information. (laughs) Man, limited 2018 is tough. I can relate to that. He's not from Tokyo and he hates information. (laughs) What? Both true facts. You can't deny that. Yeah. All right, guys, are you ready for the trivia answer? Yes, indeed. We're talking about machine learning, and uh, machine learning and algorithmic computation is very common these days. Uh, I gave you three examples of where it's being used today. Two are real, one is fake. 
Your choices were A, translating Egyptian hieroglyphics super fast, B, spotting fake reviews on TripAdvisor, or C, punching up Hollywood movie scripts before they even touch a camera. You guys both went with C. You're sticking with those answers? Sticking with yes. it. The correct answer, the fake answer is C. <gasps> We finally cracked the code. We broke Matt down. We know how go you on, think Jen, that. Go on, Jen. Go on. I've had many people tell me that the best episode ever is just it's just Jen's reactions in the trivia episode. That's the best moment of Two Girls One Podcast. Absolutely. They're like Jen's reactions are amazing, and Allie, you were so mad the whole time. And I'm like, that's accurate. That's really accurate. So where's you're not? No one's celebrating. You you get you guys got it both right, and and that might is that the first time ever or the first time time ever also i'm disappointed in you matthew because that was obvious oh yeah that was obvious (laughs) also because the uh, first two were definitely happening okay okay see i i tried to be a little tricky and i'll explain why so uh a translating egyptian hieroglyphics that is a partnership between ubisoft which is a video game company plus google plus the british museum and they're just running the glyphs through uh algorithms and trying to figure them out faster so that's you know i agree that that's that makes sense very plausible uh, <laughs> spotting fake reviews on TripAdvisor, the, whatever algorithm they're using to do this is 90% accurate. And wow. humans are basically like, to, according to the article, it was like totally up to chance. Meaning like you give a, a human a fake TripAdvisor review, basically have a 50-50 shot of getting it, of identifying it fake or not fake. Whereas the algorithm is like almost always knows the fake. Question. When we say fake, do you mean generated buy a bot or could somebody have written it but they didn't really go to that place or, yeah i yeah. think what they're saying is like the owner of the restaurant wrote their own positive I review see. and is using language that is probably too effusive or not um you know not genuine and the and the the, the computer can detect that non-genuineness however it is formed which I i'm just curious about really the 10 percent that makes it through Totally. Like, what's what's that all about? And and the reason, you know, that was an interesting factoid. But I, but the 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 um, article was also explaining how Wikipedia is using similar algorithms to uh, mitigate spam and bias in Wikipedia articles. So I thought that was cool. Wow. Yeah, Ali, didn't we have an issue with TripAdvisor back in the day with our shows where they thought? Yeah, that they like thought we had we were padding our reviews. We did. That we did. <laughs> yeah. So it's an imperfect They're like shut technology. down our account or something. I was like, yeah. what are you doing? Well, yeah. right. I mean, talk about something that's so subjective. I mean, uh, how good are the machines at doing that? We, we, you know, mm-hmm. clearly they're not that good at making art, but we're getting closer. It's it's an interesting thing. It's what our this what is, our show is about today. This is very different, but related. Uh, somebody told me last night, and guys, fact check it. Um, <laughs> but with the Unabomber, that he was ultimately caught through linguistics forensics or I, I don't know if that's what you would call it exactly but they compared his doctoral thesis I think it was language that he used such as um, you can eat your cake and have it too rather than have it and eat it like he flipped it and oh. there were phrases like that that uh, they were able to compare to what he was writing you know recently and they knew it was him but it took five or six years because that was like I don't know in the 90s I guess but wow. anyway just like related I thought totally. that was really interesting very yeah very very How that, does, that sounds dissect these sure. things yeah i love that all right and choice c which is the choice that you guys both instinctively knew right away and got correct was that um no robots are not improving existing scripts but i thought it was tricky and i thought i could fool you because there have been numerous instances where we can't be fooled we're brilliant (laughs) we've never Uh, lost trivia never as we're talking about on today's show robots have written scripts before there was one like a sci-fi uh short film that was written by a robot that again it's starring thomas middleditch who is from silicon valley he he worked on the project i saw that yeah yeah right and and it was I didn't watch the whole thing, but it, but people were talking about it of like this is weird and bizarre, but like it's watchable and it is enjoyable when you have good actors reading robot text. And it's like I mean I mean you guys do this all the time, like your performers who perform weird internet stuff. Like it it, it is they made art and it was passable art, but. It was built from scratch by robot, which I thought, oh, you know, I thought I could fool you because that that's totally a thing. 
right? Yeah, no, I, I'm really interested in that, how they're like creating, robots are creating scripts. But right, but but I think because I knew about that exact project is why I knew it was impossible because the scripts they're writing are batshit. <laughs> right. And from Botnik today, you know what I mean? Like they're not, totally. they're not there yet, but it is scary. But I did hear they were doing something in the room Yes, you mentioned that, and so you're you're again you're onto it as well. The other um, article that I found was about how the bots are not writing or changing the scripts, but they are analyzing the scripts, and they can predict box office success based on oh, yeah, the language or the flow of the script. And so maybe Hollywood's like, okay, we got this great script. All the humans think it's great. And then the bot says, mm, no, nah, this is only going to make 20 million. And then the studio is going to be like, mm, maybe we shouldn't make yeah, it. Yeah, I think that's... we've had this discussion before and it's scary because it's like, I understand that you can look at past success to predict future, but then you're not going to get the totally original things that surprise everyone. Totally, totally. Right. Right. It's it's like focus groups have been a thing for so long and it's like, okay, well, you got 10 people in a room that hated a movie, but like, does that mean that the movie is not going to find its audience? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's oh, that's been a thing in Hollywood for a long time and we're just, we're handing it off to the robots. And now. there's also surprising. execution, right? Like I wouldn't, right. I wouldn't think the shape of water was a good idea. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> she fucks a, a man godfish. Like what? <laughs> and then he eats her cat. Like why does that? A neighbor's cat still. Anyway, uh, cool. <laughs> so you guys win. You you won. What did Excellent. we win? Congratulations. What did we win, Matthew? Can you uh, tell us? My my deep and unwavering oh, respect. Jesus. Ooh, nobody right, nobody wants it. Oh, okay, yeah. Jen wants it. Jen take wants it. it. I think we should gloat, though. Let's just gloat for the next five episodes. <laughs> <laughs> just like we that. We did it. <laughs> Is it time for our interview? All right, guys, we are very excited to have with us at this moment, Jamie Brew, the CEO of Botnik. Welcome, Jamie. Hi, thanks. Hello. Hello. <laughs> so, Jamie, in your own words, can you tell us what is Botnik? Botnik is a group of people who are all interested in using machines. And by that, we just mean computer tools of all stripes to make interesting language things, usually for the Internet, often for live shows. It's a creative collective. I have been obsessed with you guys for a while. Is that weird? No, that's exactly what we want. Great. You're playing right into our hands. We already discussed. Yes. So we first found you because of the gem of all gems. I'm sure you know what I'm going to say. Harry Potter. Yeah, the Harry Potter chapter. Uh, it took the world by storm. It was a beautiful thing. So can you tell us a little bit about how this collective came to be? Sure. Uh, well, it started officially as a company in 2016 when I had been doing some predictive text experiments just based on the predictive text function on the phone where you can play this game of just choosing word after word that your phone suggests and finding what absurd sentences your phone has in mind for you to say. And Botnik is, in a way, an extension of that idea where you can ask, what if the phone suggested words that weren't just email or text words, but they came from any genre you like. And the program that we use, Voicebox, is like predictive text for anything. So it can give you word suggestions that belong to Harry Potter world or that are likely in the context of lyrics or Yelp reviews or whatever. So Voicebox would digest some sort of source material and then make predictions based on it? Yeah, that's right. You give Voicebox a text file, and it can be a huge text file. And from reading all of the sequences of words in that text file, it learns what sequences are most common and how words tend to flow from one word to the next in that source text. When you're writing with Voicebox, it's like an expanded version of that phone predictive text bar, where instead of getting three options of some words that could continue your sentence, you've got 12 or 16. And they show you options that would come next in this chapter or in this song. Okay, so you've got Voicebox and you guys input some category of text into it. So you input all the books of Harry Potter, for instance. Or I saw you guys input like uh, all of Dan Savage's responses. So then you've Love got it. these keyboards <laughs> that are based on these topics. And then what happens from there? So once you have this keyboard, you've got this... It's sort of a, an index of all of the most common phrases and the most common turns that a sentence can take in that source text. And the first 
step is really playful, just following these paths that Dan Savage has traced out and sometimes following them in loops or uh, branching off to places that Dan Savage never made a sentence that started at this point and ended at this point. But because all of the pieces were there, you find this absurd Dan Savage style sentence that, uh, of course, he never said. And you end up with a wall of these. And in the Botnik Studios writer's room, we put all of these pitches in a voting document. We call it uh, a Woodhouse voting document after P.G. Woodhouse, who would rank his sentences in a kind of obsessive way. And nice. uh, we then take the ones that get the highest votes and use those often as the, the core of whatever chapter or uh, whatever piece we were trying to write. And you know, just for our listeners, let's take it back a little bit because I've played with the predictive text keyboard and I know that it's like, it's giving you a couple words that could come next. Like you were saying, like just like your iPhone, which I think gives you three. This gives you, doesn't it give you, it gives you like, like 12 or 16 or something. Is that right? The yeah, the predictive, keyboards, the predictive text keyboards we use, unlike the phone, which only offers three, they're giving you a wide range of options that could come next. It's usually about 12 to 16. So there's a lot of freedom that you have. You can see the person as a writer who is following these paths, or you can see the person as an editor who's uh, editing the computer's output. Gotcha. So you have, so I guess what I'm saying is you have these, you know, 16 word options. And then how do you guys go from there in creating your full stories? We usually start by writing a sentence at a time. So a bunch of writers will pitch a bunch of sentences and we'll figure out which sentences seem the most interesting to us. And that's really just a human judgment that's saying it's, it's really just like a comedy pitch room. So, for instance, Harry Potter and the Portrait of What Looked Like a Large Pile of Ash, did people pitch different titles and you were like, let's go with that one? And then from there you started writing, kind of? With that one, I think the title came from one of the sentences that ended up in the story. So we wrote the story first and then we figured out what the title we should use to pull out from that is. Okay, gotcha. So, uh, can you tell us about some of your favorite projects? So, uh, well, some of my favorite are Harry Potter and I love the TV guides. Yeah, the TV guides were a, a real, a, a huge effort. I think the volume of text in the TV guides. There's so much of it. Yeah, um, I really liked the Coachella poster too. What what tool was used to create that Coachella poster, for example? For the Coachella poster, we used a different tool. That one is a piece of technology that is called a, a neural net. So a recurrent neural net is learning sequences in a text, but it's not learning word by word. It's just learning letter by letter sequences of letters that are characteristic of band names. And then it, it spits out a bunch of, of names of new bands synthesized from old bands. Yeah. I, I just, uh, just to let our, uh, the listeners know some of the names of some of these bands, because it's, it's pretty incredible. One of Pig, Horse Choir, Hoop of Gum. <laughs> like mm-hmm. these definitely sound like bands that have played at concerts that I've been to. So yeah, this, I mean, it's, it's endlessly fascinating to look at things that are like kind of familiar, but so foreign at the same time. I was going to ask you, why do you think people find this so interesting <laughs> or funny? What is it that we're seeing in it, you know, that really, that we connect to? With the Coachella poster, I think one of the experiences I have reading real band posters or real festival lineups is just being overwhelmed with how many bands there are that I have never heard of and that are apparently <laughs> yes. popular enough to go to a national festival. I always wonder about that too, yeah. <laughs> and so we've kind of engineered a kind of poster that guarantees no one has ever heard of any of these, but they <laughs> sound as familiar as they do when you're looking at a real poster. I think there's some resonance there. I, I was just because I would love to know how many people saw this poster and, and thought it was real. Yeah, well, at least one. <laughs> at least, uh, that's me. It was, it was me too. Don't worry. <laughs> Wasn't there a viral video? It was probably like a Jimmy Kimmel or a late night thing where they would go on. It was man on the street and they would say all these made up band names and the people on the street were trying to be cool. And they were like, yeah, yeah, I've heard of uh, Horse yeah. Choir. Yeah, they're pretty good. I like that single. <laughs> Just showing that people, you know, like I'd love to make that video with 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 your computer generated names and see if people fall for it. I love that. Yeah, yeah, green mind. (laughs) (laughs) We'll talk after the show. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I I think I I love Horse Choir and uh, (laughs) same. same. Yeah, totally. Um, Jimmy, what's your background and how did you come to this work with Botnik? I was a comedy writer and an editor at Clickhole and The Onion for the five years just before Botnik. 
And in my spare time, I had started experimenting with just the phone predictive text. So just using the words suggested for likely continuations of texts and emails to write songs and poetry. And, and it was always absurd in a, a kind of similar way to how Botnik stuff is absurd. It, it's a computer that only knows about the last two words and is suggesting next words based on a really limited memory. So it, the sentences forget themselves and the songs are meaningless, but they sound like they mean something. Mm-hmm. And that's really similar to some comedy writing. If you, <laughs> if you write in, if you just take the words of a certain text style and write something stupid with those words, I think there's a, a similar thing going on to what happens when you do that algorithmically. So I think they're related in that way. But yeah, I was, I, it started as a performance project in Chicago. And through posting those online, I reached other people who were interested in the same kinds of things. So through posting those first experiments, I connected with people who were doing other kinds of experiments with tech and writing from uh, my co-founder, Bob Mankoff, who was at The New Yorker and was working with Google's efforts to solve the caption contest or win the caption contest using an AI attempt Uh to Elle O'Brien, who's our chief science officer now. She's based in Seattle and had been using neural nets to generate romance novel titles. And so it was just, Botnik came out of finding this community of people who were also interested in fun applications of tech that might not be designed in the first place to be fun. And that feels like core to Botnik is reminding ourselves that tech isn't always a tool. It can be an instrument and instruments aren't built to make a certain task faster or easier. They're built to make a new kind of expression. I really like that. And I know in you know reading about Botnik and it talks about how it's a hybrid of human and machine, right? So you're clearly trying to keep the humanity in this, in these creations. Yeah. And saying it's a hybrid of human and machine isn't something that you need to do when you're describing musical instruments, for example. There's no assumption that when someone's playing a saxophone tune that we should praise the saxophone or when someone's playing something on piano that the piano is, uh, is magically producing all of this music. We can see how the intentions of the person who's playing it are directly responsible for what's coming out. That's how tech works too. Even when you're doing something that seems as much of a black box as a neural net, there's really important human decisions that happen early on, like choosing what source material you're going to use. And there's probably even an art to setting the parameters of the neural net and figuring out, well, do I want it to be really close to the source text or do I want it to be uh, a little more playful and unpredictable? It's as important to use the tool right as it is to build the tool in the first place. So what happened in your journey after that? So when did you decide you were going to go full in on Botnik? Botnik really got started in 2017, a year after we officially founded the company. And that was when Amazon and a group called Techstars invested in uh, an accelerator program um, themed around Amazon's Alexa system. So we uh, made the prototype of Voicebox, which I had built the year before. Uh, We developed that for the web and invited a bunch of comedians and writers and artists and developers of all different stripes to a community that is, it's been growing for the last year. So what are some of the surprises that have happened from the community in the past year in terms of what they've created? I mean, it turns out the people are really talented. We've written a lot of scripts. So we've written a lot of, I think scripts are a great botnik medium because they don't give you the whole story. They're just instructions for Mm-hmm. how someone else is supposed to execute. So when you have stage directions that are part of a, a Seinfeld or a Scrubs script, when those stage directions tell you to do something completely impossible, like climb out of your own mouth or <laughs> step into the door, uh, uh, 
No, that totally resonates with us. We've been, we, Ali and I have been performing internet text for a lot of years, but we'll often take like anonymous posts that we find and we will take lines of text and use them as stage directions. Never anything quite that crazy, but yeah, the challenge then for other artists to perform that is really fun. Um, and like the creativity that can come out of that is, is pretty amazing. So people do perform some of these scripts in live performances, right? Yeah. When we do live shows, we often do an, another layer on top of the absurdity of the text. So we try to honor the text as best we can. Yes. <laughs> and that's what you're doing when you're performing any text, I guess. Right. But in the, with botanic text, it's sometimes so evacuated mm-hmm. of any meaning that you can laugh at how impossible it would be for an actor to carry that out. Also, like the huge meaning you can find in it potentially. I feel like there's more opportunity for meaning the more meaningless the text is. <laughs> um, yeah, you get to add yeah. more of your own. Yeah. If yeah. the text is hogging all the meaning, then there's no room for the actor to add it. <laughs> so your live shows are performances of botanic material. Um, is there anything else that you perform in the live shows? And can you tell us about some of your other projects? Our live shows tend to be variety shows. And part of that variety is songs. We play a lot of generated songs. And very often those songs are mashups of two different source materials. So one of the songs is Bob Dylan lyrics plus negative Yelp reviews (laughs) of restaurants. And another one is Morrissey lyrics plus Amazon customer reviews of the P90X workout DVD. Um, And we realized this year that there's so much musical activity in the botnet community and so many people with uh talents that are either directly musical or adjacent to music that we should make an album and this album is coming next year we're kickstarting it right now it's called the songularity <laughs> and it is a kind of a, a prophecy it's or that we're trying to warn people that this album is coming because we think that when it does it will mark a turning point in the history of the world (laughs) because it will be the first point at which the ability of automatic human machine systems to make music will surpass the ability of the best pop musicians in the world. And we think this moment is fast approaching. Wow. Um, uh, Maybe a silly question, but will it be human voices? Will it be computer generated voices? So far, we've mostly done human voices and human music with computer-generated lyrics Got it. Okay. or computer-assisted lyrics at the least. But who knows what will happen in the rest of the songularity. <laughs> uh, it partly depends on who joins in the effort and who else helps bring about this turning point. <laughs> Can you tell us some more about your favorite projects that have happened on Botnik? <laughs> so one of my favorite projects that Botnik has done is this generated list of startup names. So we used a recurrent neural net to make the names. And then we used Voicebox to fill in the descriptions and the taglines for these. But that's kind of the fun of the project is you can give yourself a seed with one method and then uh, fill it in using some other method, which could be a computer or it could be just, you could just write those descriptions. That's awesome. Let's hear some. Nextably. Nextably? Yeah, it's kind of an inscrutable name. I think it's inscrutable in the same way a lot of other startups. Are. I think it's a, like a teleportation thing where I'm able to be next to you, next to Blay. Oh, yeah. I yes. like that. Next one. And the, before we move on from next to Blay, the tagline for next to Blay that we came up with is, we know who did what. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Great. <laughs> it explains everything. <laughs> uh, we've got one called Gifster. Gifster. Okay. okay. Yeah, that makes gifts. <laughs> that got makes it, sense, got yeah. it. Gifster with a V. Oh, oh, Givester. Givester. I like okay. that. And it sounds- do you guys want to, I, I know we split the check uh, last week. Do you want to pay me on Venmo or do you want to just go through Givester? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, but Givester, it feels like it's a donation kind it of does. thing. It does. Sure. Fundraising. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Like you could fundraise for the Songularity on Givester. <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we base all of our fundraising efforts on Givester. The logo, <laughs> the, the logo for Givester is one person reaching into a kind of money satchel of someone else <laughs> oh it, so it's it like seems ta- to be it seems to be stealing oh, theft theft it, it i like, like it take it <laughs> i like so it it's like give me your money yeah okay takester takester mm-hmm. 
Um, just a quick note for our listeners. Uh, if you want to support the show, go visit givester.co slash 2G1. <laughs> Matt, Thanks you're misleading. Wait, All right. Sorry, Jamie, how did you get this list of names? Did you input a list of uh, like accelerator alumni? We found a, a list of several thousand startups. It might be some accelerator alumni list. You're okay, right. no, I love that. I love that. Right, right. Okay, so you got a big pool of startups. That's the thing. They all have the silliest names. What the hell's happening to the world? <laughs> uh, we've got Temple Renter. To rent a temple. Cool. Right. Temple Renter. <laughs> and it's got it, the It's Yom Kippur tomorrow. I could use the, the Temple Renter. <laughs> <laughs> Spoot. Spoot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Spoot I, I is spoot another startup name. Yeah. Spoot, Sometimes I yeah. spoot. <laughs> it's a hoot uh, with a spoon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> then, of course, you have Frigidal and Batterbus, which are pretty self-explanatory. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely. <laughs> Batterbus. What do we think Batterbus is about? I'm thinking about cake right. batter. Yeah. Right. Batterbus is, is a truck that delivers waffles batter. and pancakes. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Got it. Got it. Got it. And one of my favorites, Bat IQ, or it's <laughs> Bat Plus IQ. <gasps> Um, and that's got to be an acronym, I, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's BAT plus IQ. Got it. <laughs> What's the acronym, Jennifer? <laughs> I don't know, Allison, and I knew you were going to ask me that. Um, that plus IQ. Brains are beneath uh, all tremendous. Tush. <laughs> Brain cool. aptitude test. There we go. Yeah, it's an aptitude test. That makes so much more sense than anything we said. Yes, indeed. (laughs) And the tagline for bat IQ, of course, is you need to know what you're getting yourself into with these bats. (laughs) Yeah, you do. That's important. That's important. It's a life lesson, really. Yeah. So what are your goals for Botnik? First, we want to make this album. Then we want to keep making other things and finding people who like this community we've found so far, not only enjoy using tech, to make strange language things, but are really good at it and have intuitions about where to give people the control, where to give the responsibility to tools. I think growing this community of people who are skilled at striking the balance between human and machine contributions to art and recognizing that all art has elements of both of those already, you're always working within some sort of constraint. and. Uh, whether that constraint is a format or a set of words that you can use. There's always some ingredient that's a system and some ingredient that's more intentional. And we want to keep using that balance to make better and better things. Well, right on. We're, we're with you. And we think artists play a big role in the, the revolution that's happening. We're a little scared about the robot takeover, but it seems like there's a place for the artists here. So we're into that. I'm really glad to hear that. Thanks so much for having me on. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Thanks, Jamie. All right, guys, the songularity is coming. Ellie, what do you think about it? It is upon us. It is upon uh, us. I enjoyed that interview because there was a, there's a lot more room for the artists than I thought. As, yes. as much as I've always loved the text, it's like, oh, the robots are coming. But there's it's very much collaborative. I loved the um, comparison to the piano that like yes. we've always been using machines to create art. We just don't think about it like that. But right. I thought right. that was really cool. Yeah, yeah, me too, that you need, I think he was saying maybe like the intent of the human or there, yeah, there is some sort of human voice or meaning behind it. Um, yeah, so it is hopeful in that way. But yeah, I'm just trying to, that's just yeah. a new tool. It's a new instrument. Right, right. And so similar to sort of the blogologsy thing that we've been, you know, doing for a while. But I'd be really interested to take some of this predictive text and perform it on stage and see what we could find in it. Yeah, I definitely want to do some stuff with Botnik. I want to do some stuff with him. I want to do you, Botnik. (laughs) (laughs) But one of the other things that I found really interesting uh, is the fact that they're funded by Amazon. I know. I want to know everything about the funding. Jamie, call me back. I want to know all about the funding. (laughs) Hit me up. But it's also really well, I'm curious if they're funding these artistic projects or if there's some other uh, top secret arm that we don't know about. Be- because there's I love... yeah, definitely a to- There's definitely a top secret arm, right? I Look, love the idea, though, this. of tech companies funding the art because here of uh, the arts, because here in San Francisco, there's just such a culture clash and kind of rivalry and people claim that tech has like ruined the culture, et cetera, et cetera. And I mean, obviously, there's a lot of truth to those claims, but I think there could be such beautiful synergy. Like these tech companies, I mean, they could drop what is pennies for them and fund a theater's season. And really there could be, I think all these cities that are being taken over tech could have 
incredible artistic cultures as well if tech would care to support it. And the other thing that's really interesting there is you've got, you know, an influx of smart, educated people to these cities who are looking for live events to go to, you know, in San Francisco, I mean, live events, the few that there are sell out so quickly, Mm -hmm. uh, whether or not they're good. Um, So yeah, I think there should be a lot more synergy where these tech giants just drop a little money on the arts and keep that community going. I don't want to get too far off on a tangent, but do you think live theater will ever die? I mean, I know you're yes. going to say it's already dead, <laughs> but the experience of people being in a room together or like the experience of going to people see a movie love, together. People love live events. I don't know. Yeah. You guys are going to hate me for referencing Burning Man, but, uh-huh. uh, you know, it was interesting. I think people are starved for like weird interactive things. I mean, people were so thrilled to be without their technology, interacting with people in these totally bizarre ways. So I almost feel like for as theater artists, maybe we got to up the game and make it. I mean, our show's got more and more interactive as we performed them. But I think people mm-hmm. are looking for like highly interactive um, art where they can be part of the experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. It has to evolve because it's like saying uh, like opera still exists. Exactly. But, like, but nobody cares. One percent of people <laughs> care about opera. And it doesn't mean opera no is bad or good. It's just to my friends no in opera. Exactly. But question, question for you all. How have we evolved as humans that we want to have that experience versus like having a fourth wall up? We're clearly not a part of it. Why do well, we want exactly, to step into it now? Right. Because now, well, I think. Okay, I have two theories. One, because we spend so much time online, we want to be given that visceral experience. And I also think perhaps there's something about how even what we consume online is so interactive, right? Like this whole phenomenon of like parasocial connections, I think is what it's called or something like that, where people believe they are friends with their favorite YouTuber because it's there's no fourth wall and they're commenting and talking to mm-hmm. them and mm-hmm. yep. so i think we live in a world where people expect interaction on, on through all media but also mm-hmm. are really even if in, even if they're in denial i think people want to disconnect from their screens and have like a real human experience I think so too not to be too negative too but i think like we we're very i think we're becoming a bit more self-centered with the technology that we're using it's called an iphone like it's all about yourself and like the ad i'm gonna start calling it my wee phone my wee phone we should have (laughs) wee phones why not but yeah i think people maybe want to see themselves more as the protagonist of their own story more nowadays oh yeah there's the fame obsession too and instagram etc etc i mean the problem though is then people look at the arts and they're like oh well you're only reaching a couple hundred people in a room like why should i fund that when i could go online and fund something that reaches millions but there's such value to it so it i don't know to be it's that a big small. dilemma it's to reach people I, yeah yeah i, I think I, i'll do you, i agree with everything you're saying and I, i'll do you, i'll do you one better i'll fast forward a tiny bit further into the future and kind of establish that like pop on a pair of glasses that are a VR headset and now you are having a visceral like tactile visual smell touch experience digitally that is indistinguishable from that live event that you went to the theater and so at that point you have the full immersive immersive personal experience and it's scalable because it's on the internet. And that's the moment I think when when people will stop needing to leave their house. And, and, and I'll caveat, I'll, I'll, I'll clarify that by saying it has to be indistinguishable from real life. And I think we will get there. But when is, is a question mark. Okay, I don't know what I'm talking about, but I think that there's something that's different, like on a cellular level, when you're in the presence of other human beings. I think you guys would agree. Mm-hmm. Like, there's mm-hmm. just something I agree. different about. I that never experience. thought I'd agree with Jen's yeah. like hippie comments, but I do. <laughs> I, I agree um, that it just won't feel the same. But maybe we'll get used to it. It'll be but similar maybe, yeah, enough. That might just be us being grannies. You know what I mean? Like my grandma thinks real life is different than VR. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, uh, I agree I'll, with I'll, you right now, but right like now, Matt's sure. kids are gonna be hanging out in vr and and the point is like what is a what is a physical uh, what is it what is the definition of a physical experience well it is your brain interpreting signals from the environment like touch smell uh, vision whatever it's just stimuli that your brain is like i'm i'm in a room with with jen or ali like Mm -hmm. they're they're physically here if you can pop a microchip in and trigger the exact same neurons it will be indistinguishable to your brain is what i would postulate and at that point it won't matter Hmm. 
it won't matter. Nothing will matter. <laughs> no, well, that's a larger. I mean, like talk about existential theater about how these robots are. Are, are I think you said it, Jen, of like uh, the less the thing makes sense, the more meaning you can, you can ascribe it, to it. Like that's existentialist it. theater. That's waiting for Godot. All this weird shit from our from textbooks right. is now being written by robots, and it has similar themes and meanings mm-hmm. if you if you draw them right. Mm-hmm. Everything's been done before. There you go. Also a good point. Man, we thought the robots were so innovative. They're just waiting for Godot. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe the robots are actually driving us towards like the key thing of like what it is to be a human on Earth. Which is that it's meaningless. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I, I, I agree. I very much agree but, with that statement. I, the, if you want to go deep, I but really the do. More, but the more we can really embrace that, the more we can just, you know, make our make our own meaning. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's called um, yeah. it's called optimistic nihilism, nihilism, which is that it, like nothing matters, but that's cool. It's okay that nothing <laughs> matters. I'm into nothing it. Nothing matters? Like like murder doesn't matter. Well, it depends how deep down the rabbit hole you want to go. But think of it this way: like there's a blade of grass outside of my yard. There's a bunch of bacteria. Maybe there's an ant on it, and that's a whole ecosystem unto itself. Things live and die and breathe and mate and eat and whatever. And if I stepped on it, doesn't matter. Everything dies and is crushed forever. That those ants will no longer live. But like. To us in the human world, that does not matter. Now, think about the Earth. It's just a tiny rock floating in an infinite space. If it was flicked away by a laser beam, it would. Not, it doesn't matter. It does not matter. The universe doesn't care about us is what that philosophy espouses. So I mean, does I, it matter that, that we murder and kill each other? Like, matters to us, but it doesn't really matter is what I'm saying. Wow, Matt, you're you're usually the optimist on this podcast. <laughs> but but what that's what it is. is it, it's it's, it's, it's optimistic. optimistic. It's it's like nothing matters, and I'm okay with that. Most people freak out when they think about these things, but like optimistic. Yeah, you're giving me anxiety. <laughs> right, right. That's a natural reaction because humans need meaning, right? It's our brains are wired to find meaning. But really, there is none. If you can get past that, life's pretty good. It also is interesting uh, how relative all of our morals and standards are in the sense that we don't murder but we murder bugs all the time no totally problem right, right. Right. Sure. Sure. but they're gross yeah <laughs> <laughs> um yeah like well you also said in a previous episode that you think like one of the things that we'll look back on in the future is eating meat and be like i can't believe we did that oh yeah totally And I agree that especially once all the vegan products taste pretty much like meat, there's no reason to eat meat. I agree. Guys, I was in a car the other day and being in New York City, you know, you're only like in cabs every once in a while, but I was driving like long distance to go visit my family in the back seat and I freaked out. I had a moment where I was like, what the F am I doing? Like, who? this is savage. Like, you know, speeding down the highway in a metal box. It really crazy. It occurred to me how insane it is. So I'm yeah, yeah, I'm on board. Yeah, Yeah, driving is crazy. Like, a lot of people die that way. I think it's like it's one. It's, it's like a major cause of death, like, and yet we all hop in the cars, disease, no problem. Yeah. Totally, totally. Which is well. actually why self-driving cars, if all cars are self-driving, is safer. But you can't have self-driving cars and um, driver. What are, what are they called? Non-self-driving cars, autonomous Dri- vehicles, and non-autonomous. Cars. Yeah, but yeah. we have we have driver cars and all other driver cars. So, like, if at least if the autonomous vehicles are safer, then you got to matriculate them slowly. It is a slow process, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but then there's like the whole programming ethics into the car, which is mm-hmm. fucking nuts. Mm-hmm. Anywho, we've really we gone. Does anyone we've... want to talk about TV guides? <laughs> <laughs> They're I funny. Have so- I have some emails from our Ooh. listeners if you'd like to hear them. With love. Are they... Oh, we should Are give they, our emails to Botnik it? and then generate what oh. someone might write us. <laughs> it's Botnik's all not going to be interested in that, yeah. but okay. Yeah. All right, let's hear him. Let's hear him. All right. We have another email from our friend Chad. Chad has sent us a, a couple of notes here and there about trivia. He likes to fact check me <laughs> Thank you, and Chad. my trivia answers, and and we it is. Thank a, you, Chad. He's doing God's work. I, I I really should I should give him credit for that. Right. Um. He had an important clarification to trivia in one of our previous. Oh, it was in our competitive eating episode. We were talking about YouTube, and um, the trivia that day was that Gangnam Style broke YouTube's view counter because. Uh, when it surpassed two two billion and change views, it was an integer that a 32-bit uh, computing environment could not 
comp- it could not compute, uh, and so they had to like upgrade their computing environment. This was the narrative in the might have been a Wired article or a couple of tech site articles. Um, Chad is a software engineer, and he wanted to clarify that it was not an upgrade to the entire like computing operating system as I had explained, but more about that it was the um, the size of the integer in a database field. So basically like there was a field in like let's say a spreadsheet for lack of a better computer sciencey term and the field was only so big and it was only 32 integers big and so YouTube just had to like make the field a little bigger to accommodate 64 integers and Google claims they had anticipated this problem as uh, Gangnam Style was creeping up on 2 billion views so they actually fixed it before it broke so the narrative of like Gangnam Style broke YouTube was a little bit sensationalist in the in the, in the the headlines um, and Chad uh, clarified that for us in email so uh, thank you Chad but also fuck you like I'm trying to trying to do trivia here and, and you keep second guessing me and it's really it's becoming a problem Wow, Chad I'll uh, mail you your check later uh, do you want it through um, Venmo or Givster <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think through Givester. Let's support. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, Chad. I have one um, more email if you're interested. Uh, definitely interested. This email is from Scott. He says, hello, girls. I wanted to drop a quick line to let you know that I just discovered your podcast and love it. I discovered your podcast through a search of beard stuff, beard like facial hair. Uh, and I came across your episode three about Bristler. Remember Bristler back in the day, in the early days of the show? Yes. Uh, Scott says, I do a podcast about facial hair culture, and I was looking for content and ran across your episode. I found it very informative and funny as hell. His words, not, not mine. And I just wanted to reach out to you lovely ladies and praise you for your great show. Awesome. Hey, thank you. Thanks, Scott. <laughs> That's lovely. We want to get more emails like that. Please tell us what you like and what you don't like. <laughs> just like, please love us. Love us. <laughs> well, guys, email us. We want to hear from you. And there's so many ways actually besides email that you can be in touch. People have been reaching out more and more and we love it. Um, so find us on Twitter. I'm at Junebugger, J-O-O-N-B-U-G-G-E-R. I'm at Allie Gold, A-L-L-I-G-O-L-D write to us like these awesome people we just talked about now um we're at 2g1podcast at gmail.com or you can call us and you can leave us a voicemail we might play it on the show we've done that before um and that phone number is 347-871-6548 that number again 347-871-6 what else Allie? how can they find us you can support us on patreon patreon.com slash 2g1p you can make a small monthly contribution and it recurs that's what the monthly part is about and it really helps us keep making the show. You can also chat with us in our Discord chat room, and that URL is discord.gg slash 2G1P. All right, guys, it's been real. As always, we will catch you next time. The Girls One Podcast is hosted by Jennifer Tamula and Allison Goldberg and scripted by a predictive text keyboard. I mean, edited by Matt Silverman in New York City. Additional editing for this episode by Logan Yuri. Production assistance is provided by the podglomerate.com. This show is a production of The Daily Dot, the number one source for in-depth reporting about life on the internet. This episode of 2G1P is supported by Penguin Random House Audio, who publish more than 1,000 audiobooks every year. You can download their award-winning titles on your favorite audiobook platform. Or visit penguinrandomhouseaudio.com slash twogirlswonepodcast to browse their latest sci-fi and fantasy collection. And when you get there, tell them Walter Hibiscus sent you. The Podglomerate. A sonic universe. He is cool now. He is cool now. He's cool now. He is cool now.